Hey, thank you all. So nice to be here. And uh, your reputation as a generous church, a kind church, a kingdom-centered church is, um, goes far beyond Brattleboro. And uh, so my son Henry and I are really pleased, privileged to be with you all and to worship Christ with you. Um, I also just want to say I, I have so appreciated David and Dave, um, getting to know both of them over the years. And I've become dear friends with Ben Whittinghill over the past uh, four or five years through our work with Small Town Summits and also the Village Green Collective, our, our collaborative network of church planting churches throughout New England. And uh, so, so I'm, I, I want to say thank you to you for uh, your generosity as a church and your kindness and your kingdom-centeredness. And also, even, you know, I, I think sometimes you don't even realize the blessing you are to other churches. I'm thinking even of the fact that you have released your pastor and his family to be on sabbatical over the summer. And other churches see that, and it's an example to them. And then the ways that you invest in your pastor and his family, and then the ways they invest beyond Rivertown Church into churches and ministries around New England is significant. So thank you for being that kind of church who cares for your pastor, for your pastors, um, who really delights in not just what God is doing here, but in other towns and in other churches around New England and around the world. Just really grateful for that desire you have to see the kingdom spread everywhere. We're going to read 1 Timothy chapter 1, so if you have a Bible, open up to 1 Timothy 1, and we're going to look at just a few verses in 1 Timothy 1. I'll read verses 12 through 17, and my desire this morning is to magnify Christ and to celebrate uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, to see him as our shepherd, to see him, especially to see him as lovely, to see him as desirable. That's my prayer for you, my prayer for me as I preach that we would see the Lord Jesus as, not just as the Lord, not just as true, not just as powerful, but as lovely and desirable. So I'll read First Timothy chapter 1 and verses 12 through 17. These are the words of the Apostle Paul, ultimately words inspired by God. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
I think the main point of those verses, that just that short passage I read, is Paul's thanks to Christ and his praise to God for the abundant mercy and grace he has received. Paul's thanks to Christ and praise to God for the abundant mercy and grace he has received. Let's pray and ask God to apply that to us. Father, may we not miss what these verses communicate to us. I pray that if there's any doubt or any hesitation or any distraction or any hard-heartedness, that you'll melt us and focus us and delight us and captivate us and allow us to hear these words from you and to be changed by them. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know where you're at personally this morning, where you're coming from, what your week was like, what you're struggling with or dealing with. Maybe some of you are doing really well and life is good and you're feeling encouraged. And maybe for some of you, life is feeling more like a looming mountain that you're not sure how you're going to climb. It could be you have financial struggles or health struggles or social family struggles Lots of, lots of different things that each of us could be facing. And what I am praying and have been praying for this morning is that wherever we're at, whatever we're feeling, there will be in this word from God to us in 1 Timothy 1 an increased appreciation of the beauty of Christ and a, a beholding of what is in Christ, what's available for us in the Lord Jesus in a funny way, I think it's really encouraging to remind ourselves of the historical context of First Timothy and of those verses I just read. Paul was writing to his younger disciple, Timothy, whom he had left behind in the city of Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus was facing some difficulties, some very serious challenges, including leaders who were teaching falsehood, including some in the church who were leading the church astray. And I, I would I just say, you know, imagine how messy and how difficult things would be in your church, or I imagine what they'd be like in my church if that were the case right now. If there were people internally who were saying things that were contradictory to Scripture, and some were wondering or doubting, or some were being led astray, just how messy and ugly that could be and the kinds of impacts that could have on relationships. In this letter... Paul coaches Timothy on how he ought to respond, what he ought to do about this challenging situation. In fact, in, in the passage immediately before the one I just read, Paul's talking about this false teaching in Ephesus. And he says that that teaching contrasts with the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which Paul proclaims, that's verse 11, and also with Paul's own testimony of encountering the beautiful, incomparable Christ. That's verses 12 through 17. And look where Paul's at by the time he gets to the end of this testimony, those verses I read. Look where he's at when he gets to verse 17. He says, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's like Paul can't contain himself. It's this explosion of this exuberant doxology that he gets to in verse 17. It just bursts out of him right in the middle of this letter, which is written into this tricky, sticky, ugly, gnarly church dissension, false teaching situation. 
And I think what this shows us is that soul-satisfying, God-honoring praise doesn't need to wait until the trouble in our lives is passed. Because Paul's writing right into the situation. He knows Timothy's living it out. And even so, Paul can't help himself going vertical and saying to God, God, you are the incomparable one, and I want you to receive praise forever and ever and ever. And that can be true for us too, that our praise to God doesn't need to wait until the cancer goes into remission or the wayward child returns, repents, receives Jesus, or the job situation is remedied or the finances are straightened out. We can praise now, and we know that because Paul does. He's writing into this ugly situation, and he can't contain his praise of God. The mess does not prevent him from expressing his deep thanks to Christ and his awesome, high, exuberant praise to God for the mercy and grace he has received. And this is such good news for us that we can grow in enjoying Christ and praising God regardless of the external circumstances of our lives. And again, I don't, I don't know you personally, so I don't know what you're in now. And I don't know the future, so I don't know what you'll be facing in the next year. But I will say, based on this passage and other biblical passages, the next 12 months could be simultaneously the most difficult you've ever experienced and the, the, the most closely you've ever walked with Jesus Christ. It, they could be both at the same time. And I've, I've seen that. I know that's true because I've witnessed it in people I love very much. I remember once asking my grandmother, who passed away a few years ago, and who had a vibrant relationship with God for many decades, what were the times, Grandma, what were the times in your life when you felt closest to God? And I remember where I... I was when I asked the question. I was on the back porch of our house in Maine where I grew up, talking to my grandma, asked her that question, and she said uh, the time, the first thing that came to her mind, the time that, that she was closest to Christ was the time after her 20-something-year-old son, my uncle, had died, this is decades and decades before we were talking, in an accident, and she had felt the the deep, palpable love of Christ expressed to her, largely through his people, largely through the church. Just last Sunday, I was talking after church to a friend of mine, Morris, who is in his 90s. I think he's 93. His wife died a few years ago, Iris. Um, they had been married for 68 years. He's missing her so, so much, um, maybe more than he even anticipated. But he told me that he is experiencing Christ more than he ever has. And he's got this daily relationship of prayer with God where he's just con almost constantly speaking to Christ as the day goes by. We can grow in enjoying Christ and praising God regardless of the external circumstances of our lives. Now, I want us to see what ignites that kind of Godward praise, that kind of Christward thanks in Paul's heart. And we'll take the passage in three sections. So I want to begin in verses 12 through 15 of that 1 Timothy 1 passage. Paul celebrates the abundant grace of God, and he thanks Christ because, first, of Christ's abundant grace to Paul. This is verses 12 through 15. He expresses his gratitude to Christ in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. 
being used by Christ to accomplish his purposes in the world is one of the greatest joys in life. And Paul knows that. He's not looking just to get forgiven for a sin and to squeak by and make it into heaven. That's not what he wants. He wants to be used. He wants to be poured out by Christ. He wants to be useful in Christ's service, actively serving. And he's thankful, he says, that Christ Jesus has appointed him to his service as an apostle. He's thankful that Christ didn't just call him to serve and then leave him on his own. Instead, he says, I'm thankful to Christ that Christ gave me strength for the task. And obviously, if you know the life of the Apostle Paul, that was a task that involved a lot of deprivation and hardship and difficulty. And Paul says, Christ strengthened me for that ministry. If you've read the writings of the Apostle Paul, you know that he was a man who was deeply aware of being strengthened by God. So he said in his letter to the Philippians, Philippians 4, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And the really good news for us is that God's strengthening isn't just a strengthening of apostles or famous Christian leaders. It's a strengthening of every Christian. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He said to all Christians in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I think one of the greatest joys you will ever experience is having a task to do for Christ that's maybe a little beyond what you thought you could do and you ventured to do it and you weren't sure how it was going to get done and Christ strengthens you, and you feel him strengthen you for that task, and you do it, and you praise him for doing it. Do you, have you experienced that before, where you kind of stood on tiptoe a little bit to get to what he wanted you to do, and you felt him come through for you, and you felt, at the end of that, you didn't feel like Christ was in your debt. You felt gratitude to Christ for calling you to the task and then strengthening you to do the task to which he had called you. On December 4, 1857, the great African explorer and missionary David Livingston addressed the students of Cambridge University on the subject of leaving the benefits of England behind. And he said, for my own part, I've never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa Away with such a thought, it is emphatically no sacrifice. I never made a sacrifice. And this so strikes me in this passage that when Paul thinks of being an apostle, when he thinks of, you know, all those shipwrecks and nights in the open and whippings, beatings, all that suffering, all that hardship, all that expenditure of time and mental energy and physical strength, what he feels is gratitude. He says, I thank Christ for strengthening me for this work. Verse 12, I thank him. Not I despise him, I resent him for calling me to that, but I thank him. Not he owes me, but I thank him. Not he thanks me, but I thank him. And I want to invite you 
again, I don't, I don't know where you are, whether you're involved in ministry or if so how much, but I just want to invite you into this experience that Paul has of feeling so grateful to Christ. When Christ calls you into ministry and you say yes and he strengthens you, you will feel a joy that comes from that obedience and from his strengthening of you. The other thing that heightened Paul's gratitude was his awareness of what Christ had rescued him from. And he says that Christ appointed him to his service even though, and this is verse 13, even though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. So he was a blasphemer because he denied that Jesus was the Christ. He was a persecutor because he tried to harm Christians for their faith. He was an insolent opponent because he did his best to stop the spread of the church. He was opposed to Christ. He was an enemy of God, but Christ nevertheless appointed him to his service. And Paul never really got over that, I don't think. I think he always felt in his bones like, that is a crazy thing that he called me a persecutor of the church. It really is an amazing thing. Appointing Paul as an apostle is like asking Vladimir Putin to be your ambassador to Ukraine. It's, as, it's like asking Howard Stern to be in charge of helping radio clean up its, its speech online. It's like the exact opposite of what you would expect. You know, God, Christ, who do you have in mind as the next apostle? I'll choose the, the, the persecutor of the church, the guy who's blaspheming Christ and trying to stamp out God's people. And Paul thought about that, and he cultivated this gratitude to Christ because of where he had been and now what, what Christ had called him to. The Puritan Thomas Watson once said, until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. Until sin be bitter, Christ will not be sweet. So if you want to experience the loveliness of Christ, ponder what he saved you from. That's what Paul's doing right here. And if you're like me and you came to know Christ at an early age, don't just think about what he saved you out of. You know, I, I was definitely a sinner at age four when I became a Christian, but I had not had a lot of time to dabble in sin or experiment in sin. So, so I have to think not just of what he saved me out of that I was already in, but of what he saved me from, what I didn't experience because he saved me before I got there. Think about this. If someone flags you down on the road 200 yards in front of a washed-out bridge and prevents you from driving over that washed-out cliff and hitting the bottom and killing yourself in a fiery crash, you will be thankful to Christ. Because you'll be thankful to that person because they saved you before you got there. And so we can thank Christ not just for what he saved us out of that we were already in, but what he prevented us from getting into in the first place. Paul sinned in some very significant ways before his conversion, but he thought he was doing the right thing when he was persecuting the church. He thought he was serving God. And he says in verse 13, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. It was still sin. He still needed mercy, but it was not high-handed sin. It was not willful knowing sin. And I think there's, the, there's an implicit warning for us here, each one of us, especially those of us who are professing faith in Christ, do not knowingly, willingly 
continue in sin. It's a very dangerous thing to do. There can come a point where you're so hardened in sin that you will no longer repent and therefore will not receive mercy. If you're engaged in a pattern of knowing sin, please flee from it and get help. Confess it to another brother or sister. Confess it to an elder. If you hear this warning and the Spirit stirs you toward repentance, that's a sign that you're not that hardened yet and that there is still time for repentance and you can still turn. So if you know that the thing you're dabbling in or tempted by is a sin, flee it. Run to Christ. See the loveliness of Jesus and turn away from that temptation. Paul was so keenly aware of the abundant grace was given to him. He says in verse 14, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And that word overflow is a very beautiful one. It refers to something that super abounds. It's exceedingly abundant. I guess it's kind of dangerous to use the word overflow in Vermont in this kind of season of time, but that is the image. It's like water overflowing, super abundant One Greek dictionary translates uh, verse 14, the grace of our Lord was very, very much. And I think the idea here, Paul's communicating, is that I had so much sin. He says, I was the foremost sinner, but my sin was no match for the grace of Christ. He, he, He had more than enough within himself to cover all my sin. I really want you to hear that. Have you sinned in, in ways you're ashamed of, either in the past, maybe in the distant past, maybe in the present? Earlier this summer, I visited my parents' house in Maine, where I grew up, and my parents asked me to clear out the rest of my stuff from their attic. And it's, I guess it's, I, I have to say it's probably time for that now that I've been three decades out of my, my parents' house. And they said, Stephen, you know, it's time to, time to take all the rest of this stuff out of the attic. And so... I took a few hours while we were there on vacation and I sorted through these letters and papers from 30 years ago. And you know, one of the main things I felt as I worked through those couple boxes of school papers and correspondence and stuff from 30 years ago, one of the main things I felt was shame. Because I was reading letters and I was reminded of relationships I had had and selfishness in my heart and people I had hurt, uh, repeatedly some people, I just felt this sense of shame as I was working through all that stuff. And I just want you to see if maybe that resonates with you. Maybe, maybe there's some things that you feel ashamed of, you did that nobody else knows about 10 years ago, five years ago, last year. Maybe just a few people know. Maybe when you think about it, you still feel shame. Or maybe there's some things in your life right now that make you feel deeply ashamed. You wouldn't want anyone to know. And Paul says, and this is for you, he says, the grace of God, the grace of Christ overflowed in my life. It's super abundant. It's much, much grace. Christ's grace, it's not like, oh, just kind of trying to squeak up to, to get to your level of sin. Paul says it's more than enough. It's super abundant. It covers everything and beyond. Please allow this to shape your understanding of the Lord Jesus. He's lovely. 
His grace to us is overflowing. There's faith and love as well. Paul says there's faith and love in Christ for us. If we'll receive him, he'll strengthen and heighten our faith in God. He'll cause us to become loving to other people. There is faith and love in Christ Jesus. In verse 15, Paul moves from his own personal testimony to a word about who Christ is for all who will receive him. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Again, hear that. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If you're a sinner, you're the reason he came. He's not going to begrudge saving you. That was his purpose in making the trip. Paul thinks of himself as the foremost sinner. I think not, not because he says, would say objectively, you know, I was worse than Hitler or Idi Amin or Stalin, but because Paul knows himself better than anyone else. He knows the depth of his own sin more than he knows other people's sin. He knows his own wicked thoughts. He knows his failings, his motives better than he knows others. And that clear awareness of his need heightens his gratitude for a Savior who overflows grace and gave faith and love, who appointed him to his service. I wonder, do you see the loveliness of Christ? Is it something you, you think about or experience? Maybe you did earlier as we were singing. Has his grace overflowed in your life, flooding away your sin? Have you received mercy from him? Have you found faith and love that are in him? Has he appointed you to his service? Are you actively, joyfully serving him? Are you experiencing inner strengthening from Christ to do those things that he's asked you to do? Has he strengthened you? Have you cataloged all those things he's done for you? Have you written them down? That's what Paul does here. Paul has a friend, Timothy. When Paul experiences this grace, when he feels this gratitude, he doesn't just feel it inwardly. He, he, he overflows it to a friend, uh, to a community. He says to Timothy, let me tell you how I'm feeling to Christ. Let me tell you the thanks that's welling up in me because I want it to spill over to you too. I want you to experience it and feel it. But there's more. Paul knows that Christ's aim wasn't just to save and to bless and to use one person, Paul. Paul knows that Christ was faithful to him because Christ had designs for giving and blessing and showing grace to other people as well. And that's where Paul goes in the next verse, in verse 16, where we see Christ's plentiful patience for all. So we've already seen in the first few verses, Christ's abundant grace to Paul. Now here's Christ's plentiful patience, not just to Paul, but to all. Verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason. So here's the reason Paul says Christ was kind to me, for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So I take it that Jesus' aim in showing mercy to Paul was way bigger than just Paul. It was for all those who Christ meant to draw to himself who would believe in Christ for eternal life. Christ was patient with Paul. And more than that, verse 16 says he was 
perfectly patient. The Greek phrase is literally translated all patient or fully patient or completely patient. And I just imagine all that time period during which Saul the Pharisee was opposing the church and railing against Christians and throwing them into jail and traveling from city to city to do those things. And at any given moment, Christ, with all power, the risen Christ, the glorified Christ in heaven, could have just said, boom, you're done. You're dead. Uh, I'm ridding myself of this enemy. And he, he didn't do that. He allowed Paul to go from this city to this city and persecute these people and throw these Christians in jail. He was patient. He was waiting. He had an aim. He had a plan. He bided his time until Paul got on the Damascus Road. And then he appeared to Paul and he changed his life forever. And here's the plan. Christ wanted to show to others that he could be patient with them too. Because if he could be patient with someone as notoriously opposed to him as Paul was, surely he could be patient with others too. One of the theories of criminal justice is deterrence. You know, it's this idea that criminal penalties don't just punish violators, but they also deter other would-be offenders who may be tempted to commit those same crimes. And this is kind of like the opposite of that. Christ wants to make his patience known, his kindness known, so he forgives Paul. He's patient with Paul because he wants to demonstrate, he wants to go public so that others will know, hey, maybe he could be patient with me as well. I thought maybe I had exceeded the mercy of Christ or maybe I had done so much that he wouldn't be patient with me. And God says, Christ says, no, no, look at exhibit A. Look how patient I was with, with Saul, with Paul. Of course I can be patient with you too. I wonder, do you ever ponder how perfectly, perfectly patient Christ has been with you all the times when he has borne with you rather than simply destroying you or tossing you aside. Think of all the times when you sinned against him yet again. That's, that's what gets me. When I have sinned in the same way repeatedly, and I think Christ was, I mean, he, he forgave me again. He showed grace toward me again, over and over and over, the perfect overflowing patience of Christ. And Christ desires to extend that patience to more and more people. Think about it. Christ is so patient that he's not just patient with Paul, but Christ says, I want to be patient with more people, so I'll make an example of Paul so I can have other sinners come to me so that I can be patient with them too. That's how patient Christ is. We serve a lovely Christ who wants to make himself known to more and more people and who uses us to make that happen. And honestly, that's why Rivertown Church, my church, Pepperell Christian Fellowship, are part of the Village Green Collective together. That's why we participate in small town summits together. Because your desire, I know, and my desire, my church's desire, is to display the character of Christ to more and more people. Not just Brattleboro, not just Pepperell, but towns where, and there are so many of them in New England, where there is no gospel witness, there is no Christ-centered church, there's no community-engaged church. And so if people want to find Christ, they've got to drive outside their town to find him. And, and we want to get 
more churches close to people. We want Christ to be magnified. We want his perfect patience to spread to more and more people. And I think we're in sync with Christ because of this verse right here where Paul says, Christ was patient with me because he wanted to be patient toward more people. He wants the gospel to spread. He wants his character to be known by more. We're not yet at the climax of this passage, and we get to the climax in the last verse, verse 17, where we see Paul's exuberant praise to God. We've already seen this praise, but I'll read verse 17 again. Paul says, To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. It's like he can't help himself. He's got to explode in praise to God. But this raises a question in my mind, and I'll close with this question. The question is, all of verses 12 through 16 up to this point in the passage have been about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's been saying, I'm thankful to Christ because he was this way toward me. He was patient. He showed me grace. Paul's been praising. He's been thanking the Lord Jesus Christ. So why, in verse 17, does Paul suddenly turn to praise God? It's thanks to Christ, in verses 12 to 16, praise to God, in verse 17. Why? And I think it's because when Paul sees and experiences the merciful, gracious, patient heart of Jesus, he knows that he is seeing the very heart of God. You know, every human being is is made in the image of God. I know you know this because you're well taught at your church that there's this kind of storyline of Scripture. In the beginning, God creates Adam and Eve in his own image. Adam and Eve sin. They rebel against God. And when they do, when they fall into sin, that image of God that they bear, it's still there, but it's sort of like that mirror, you know, that's meant to image God to the world gets cracked and tarnished and warped and broken so when people look at me when they look at you they still see the image of God but it's not it's not the perfect image of God I mean there there are lots of elements of our character that don't image God forth as he should be imaged forth but we know that God came in the, the person of Jesus Christ the God man and that Jesus in his earthly life and then his resurrection, his heavenly existence, is the perfect expression of the glory of God. He is, he's the mirror that's imaging God forth so that when you see Christ, you've seen God. When you see the patience of Christ, you've seen the patience of God. If you've experienced the kindness of Christ, you've experienced the kindness of God. When you see Jesus, he says, you've seen the Father. And I think that's the answer to this question. Paul says, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being patient toward me. And thank you for showing grace to me in in this overflowing way. He's had this experience of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he realizes, because he knows Christ and he knows God, he realizes, when I've tasted of the patience and the grace and the kindness of Jesus, that's an experience of God himself. That's why he goes vertical and says, God, to you, you are the king. And would you receive glory forever and ever and ever? I want you, almighty God, king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. I want you to receive honor and glory forever and ever. So let's behold the Christ 
that we get to offer to other people in Brattleboro, in the surrounding area, in Pepperell, in New England, around the world. There's never been anyone like this Christ before or since. He came into the world to save sinners. He takes broken people and he overflows his abundant grace in their lives. He's perfectly patient. But patient. If you want to find faith, if you want to experience love for other people, those are found in him. Eternal life is found in him. He strengthens the weak. He uses the helpless. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and almighty King, God of the ages, immortal, invisible, to you be honor and glory forever and ever. Father, we do praise you, and we thank you for a passage that points us to Christ and shows us his loveliness. Would we have not just um, a mental apprehension of these things, but a felt experience of them? Uh, Wherever we're at and whatever we need, would you show us Christ? And Father, would you be glorified as you show us the Lord Jesus, as we see the glory of, of you, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ be honored. I pray that for this church, Lord, for the shepherds of this church, uh, for every member of this church, every person who attends regularly, that Rivertown Church would be a church that falls in love, it stays in love with the Lord Jesus and renews that love day by day by day so that as the surrounding community looks to this body of believers, they would see something of the the loveliness of Jesus, the patience of Christ. And as they see that, they would give glory to the Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.